minds and their hearts and help them to understand these truths, Lord. And I pray that's in your name. Amen. So I want to start by using uh, an illustration here, okay? Now, I'm not going to ask really hard questions. Believe me, I don't like ask hard questions being asked to me, so it's okay. Um, and unfortunately, like all the kids are gone because kids would jump on this in a heartbeat. So what is this? Okay, I know it's like our hope and comfort. And, no, <laughs> it's a chocolate cake, right? I mean, that's exactly what it is. But is it just a chocolate cake? All right. No, it's actually many ingredients that come together to form it to be, to, to make it be a chocolate cake. Yeah, 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 I know. I picked a great picture, didn't I? <clears throat> um, and can you enjoy this cake without knowing all the details that go into it? You can, right? Absolutely. Uh, um, now, if you knew the recipe, could you share that information and help somebody else? You could, right? It's that simple. Uh, I have, my mother's passed away, but I have her cookbook and I have recipes. Like, I can make those because that information is there. Now, this one, I want us to kind of think about for a second. Did all the ingredients get mixed together in the bowl and it immediately become a chocolate cake? No, it didn't, right? It had to be baked and it had to go through a process to eventually become a chocolate cake. Now, other than getting you to think about chocolate cake, where am I going with this? Well, we can really kind of think about our salvation in a very similar way. Can we enjoy the benefits of our salvation without knowing all the details of it? We can, right? Um, if we have a greater understanding of our salvation, could that result in a deeper relationship with God? It could, and I will attest to that. It, as I've prepared this week, there are songs I've heard over and over on the radio, and this week they were much sweeter to me than they have ever been. And that's just because I'm embedded in God's Word and these truths, and I get to uh, hear that and think about that differently than I normally would. If we have a greater understanding of our salvation... Could that help us to share that truth with somebody else? Absolutely could. And very similar to the cake. At the moment of salvation, did we immediately become like Christ? Meaning you just, all your all sins that you struggled with were gone, and you immediately just dove into God's word and you never turned back. No, that, that is a process. And in the future, um, I have other thought processes on where to go from here. Those words would be included to kind of help you understand that. That would be sanctification would be the word that would, would help us to understand that. So um, my goal is for us to look at the many actions that occur with salvation. I also want us to see how this applies to our daily life and how this can, what we're learning this morning, how this can help us to share Christ with others. If you're here and you aren't saved, you haven't placed your trust in Christ, then may this truth open your eyes to the need of Christ in your life. This is not a teaching to make you think that salvation is through any other means than Jesus, but I hope that this helps you to understand that your salvation is not merely a ticket out of hell. Today, we'll focus on three terms. One describes a condition we are in that we needed to be saved, and the other two describe how our position with God changed the very millisecond of our salvation. So don't be alarmed. I do, do know how to spell, but I've been under enough preaching over the years that I've learned that when someone preaches, either they do wordplay or all their points start with the same letter. All my points didn't start with the same letter, so I did wordplay. So um, <clears throat> we need to first focus on why we need to be saved. What condition were we in that Jesus needed to save us? Again, if you're here and you haven't placed your faith in Christ, and I pray that this opens your eyes 
to the current position that you are in, this next term. If you have not trusted Christ, this next term we're going to talk about, this is where you are at. Um, the word that we're going to use to focus on this, to help us to understand this condition, is condemnation. Okay? Condemnation is defined as the action of condemning someone to a punishment or a sentence. One of my pet peeves is I hate going to the dictionary and they use the same word I'm looking up in the, defi in the definition. I hate that. So basically, you have been declared guilty and will serve a sentence. You know, I want to work backwards through this definition. I want us to look at where that sentencing is, but I want us to look at what got a sentence in the first place. Often in our society, when someone commits a crime, the emphasis is more on time served than the crime they committed in the first place. I feel that the greatest importance for us today has to be placed on why man is condemned in the first place. If we were not guilty, we wouldn't be serving a sentence in the first place, but we are guilty, and that's what we need to understand. Why were we guilty? So bear with me on this. I'm going to work to kind of clean up here in a second, so please hang with me because I don't want to create any confusion. But as I said earlier, often salvation is reduced to being a ticket out of hell and not understanding that it's about being separated from God due to our guilty verdict. If the gospel is presented merely as a fire escape due to our guilty verdict, then it, the power of the gospel is being greatly minimized because it becomes about someone's eternal comfort and very little about separation from God and very little about the power of the gospel in your daily life. I... I'm going to say something real quick here. I'm sorry. I'm, the, the downfall of me being up here is like I have a squirrel mindset, so like I'm like this. <laughs> have any of you ever seen, um, what is the movie? The Incredibles. Okay. So at the end of the first one, Dash is running and, and track, okay? And they're like, you know, slow down, speed up, slow down, speed up. So I have a tendency, I do get a little nervous presenting, and I talk very fast. So I have learned to look at my wife. My wife gives me that slow down a little bit, okay? <laughs> so it just happened. It just literally just happened. And so like, if you watch that, Dash is running, and he's like, and they're like, speed up. They're like, slow down. Speed up. So like, that is me. So I will work to slow down here to have a, a normal pace here. But if not, you just get out a few minutes early, and you'll love me. All right? Um, now the downfall is I forgot where I was at. Okay. <clears throat> okay. So let me see, as we're talking about, the, the idea of just focusing on hell, okay? I want, I want to make better sense of this, okay? So which would you rather, okay? Oh, oh, I heard some, I heard some oomph, okay? Beach or today, all right? Right, exactly, okay? Most people aren't going to struggle to pick the beach. People do not have a problem picking better locations or increased comfort. So if I would say to someone, Given a true understanding of heaven or hell, which would you prefer to go? Most people will say heaven. The problem with merely focusing on where eternity is being spent is the fact that our remedy to our guilty judgment is often minimized. More is made of location than what Christ has done. Okay? Now, I understand I need to take a second. This is why I said bear with me. I need to take a second to clear some things up. If you are presented the gospel and a large emphasis was placed upon avoiding hell, and that is how God opened your eyes, then praise him for that. Okay, I'm not taking away from that by any means, okay? I'm not trying to cause any doubt about your salvation or minimize how you came to the saving knowledge of Christ. My concern is for people that I've talked to who have professed that they said a prayer and they aren't going to hell. 
and then they live their life no differently than hell, okay? The Bible is very clear that a tree is known by its fruit, meaning that after salvation, there should be some changes within your life that show that you are transforming to be more like Christ. It's that sanctification word that we said earlier, like the cake baking, we become more like Christ. There should be that process. And that is my concern that when we emphasize hell as just it, well, who wouldn't say that? Who wouldn't? Yeah, I don't want to go there. I don't, you know, I don't want to. But that is my goal. So my, my, my purpose is to not get you to doubt your salvation if that's how it was presented to you, because very much so it was how it was presented to me, and that's what God used. But over time, I've seen people who I have worked with who have said, well, I said this prayer when I was a kid. I went to vacation Bible school. I was in Awana. They have nothing to do with God, nothing to do with church, nothing to do with proclaiming their name. I highly doubt they're on their way to heaven. That prayer is not what saved them. It's the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, which is what saves us. Um, so getting back to our definition of condemnation, we will look at where that sentencing is. As, as, after I just said, I don't want to necessarily just focus on hell. We're going to focus on hell now. <laughs> um, so the Bible is very clear that there is a place who are separated for God, um, that being hell. Matthew 25, 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Revelation 20, 14 and 15. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And really the last verse I, I, I really put here for a, a, a point for us to focus on. They will, 2 Thessalonians 1.9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from what? The presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. The last verse helps us understand that those who are in hell are there because they are separated from the presence of God. What we need to focus on now is what caused us to be separated from God. Going back to our definition on condemnation, we know that the sentencing is hell, but what was the crime? What caused our separation from God? And we would know that that is sin. The Bible says, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. So where did sin originate? You know, if you read your Bible much, it only took until the third chapter of Genesis until we see disobedience of God. This chapter is often titled, The Fall of Man. Adam and Eve were instructed not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, but they did. This act of disobedience is what has placed a separation between God and man ever since. This separation has been passed from generation to generation. The Bible tells us this in Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, being Adam, and death, eternal separation from God, through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. All right, so <clears throat> I'm <clears throat> I like to try to do illustrations, and I, I hope they make more sense of things and create confusion. So, do, Alicia and Addie, do you might come up for a second? <laughs> just for a second, just for a second. All right, and I wanted to use these. <laughs> you did not as a magician too, did you? No. All right, there's yours. Um, why don't you stand over there if you don't mind? You don't get one yet. All right, so I, I want us to kind of see how is sin passed from generation to generation, okay? I'm a sinner. 
And as much as she's a lovely wife, I married a sinner, all right? So, and then through that, we have a child. And that child, as much as I love her too, <laughs> is a sinner, right? So sin is passed from generation to generation. If we would look at this biblically, Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel, Seth, we could go through the whole genealogy through the Old Testament, and we could look at the fact of how sin has been passed from generation to generation to generation. Now, I partly want to use this illustration because if I do get to speak again in the future, I want to show how Christ breaks this. And that's partly what we're talking about, but not in full depth today, because this is why we're all guilty before, before God, because of sin being passed from generation to generation. Thank you, ladies. Now, another way that this became very um, evident to me recently was how many of you have tried to research your family tree? Right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I did that recently after my grandmother passed away, and, uh, uh, which is a horrible time to do something after the, old, after the oldest person in your family passes away. But uh, I did, and uh, I was able to track our family back to uh, 1740, which is pretty cool. Um, but God opened my eyes, and like, he's like, look at that. That's how sin got to you, is through each one of these people coming to me. And from my lineage on is how sin is going to be passed. This is why we need Christ. This is our remedy to our, to our problem. So to summarize condemnation, due to sin, we stand guilty before a holy God. As a result of, what, uh, as a result of that, we'll be separated from God by spending eternity in hell. It is very important that people realize that there is nothing that can be done in their own strength to put them in a right standing with God. Now, this would be a very depressing uh, teaching this morning if it all ended right here, but praise God, it doesn't. Uh, so at the point of being a, in a condemned state, you know, this verse should be what we cry out. You know, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You know, how does one get out of this condemned state being guilty before God? Now, a few verses later, Paul tells us, Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say for those who work hard, those who go knock on doors, those who go do this. It doesn't say anything about baptism. It is those who are in Christ Jesus. If we are in Christ and we are saved by him and we are no longer guilty before God, we move from condemnation to justification. Now, the theological definition of justification is the act of declaring or making righteous in the sight of God. So we just went from being guilty before God to now, because of Christ, we are not guilty. Now, this next verse speaks of our condemned state, but then switches over to being justified. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you who are dead in your trespasses, or sins, that is our condemned state. Now we enter into the justification aspect. God made alive together with him, being Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, that being our separation, eternity, and hell. Then he, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. 
Justification is purely a legal term. It declares that our standing before God has changed, and in and of itself, justification does nothing to change the sinner's nature, but guarantees that future changes will come. Again, that refers back to that word we said earlier, sanctification, those changes. Now, I want to give an example that I hope will help us to understand what I mean about there being legal changes, but no change to the sinner's nature. Alicia and I have been married for 23 years, which I'm glad I was right and I matched up with you on today's Family of the Week. Um, On July 12, 1997, at approximately 1.49 p.m., we were David Snook and Alicia Longfellow. And then one minute later, we were Mr. and Mrs. Snook. We were declared husband and wife. Our legal status had changed to married but nothing changed in our nature. Those changes would come over the next 23 years. Uh, so, so justification changes our position before God. It doesn't spiritually change anything within us, meaning it doesn't remove what we struggle with in our flesh or immediately give us the desire to know God's word. It transforms our guilty verdict to being free because of Christ. And I think this quote from John MacArthur kind of does a great job of summarizing justification. Good works, so you know, all the things that we think we need to do, or what a lot of religions, I think I should say it that way, a lot of religions are, are works-based. So good works and practical holiness do not provide the grounds for acceptance with God. God receives as righteous those who believe, not because of any good thing he sees in them, but solely on the basis of Christ's righteousness, which is reckoned to their account. That is justification. So how are we justified? We are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. So Ephesians 2.8 tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God provided his son to do what we couldn't do ourselves, to satisfactorily pay for the sins of mankind. This is the basis of probably the best-known Bible verse of all time, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, unfortunately, the following verses don't often get, us, get the attention they deserve, and they're not only extreme truths but imperative for our teaching today you'll see a word that we just talked about. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus wasn't sent to reveal that we were guilty. We were already guilty, right, because of sin. Why did God send him? But in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. The Bible is very clear that we are able to be justified because of Christ's willingness to die on the cross for our sins. His death on the cross canceled our record of sin. How did it cancel our, our debt? What had, to incur, what had to occur in order for us to be set free? This brings us to our last term this morning. Don't worry, we're not done yet. I know some people just like, hey, hitting the restaurant <laughs> early, all right? <laughs> uh, that term is imputation, okay? Imputation is primarily an accounting term, okay? It means to apply to one's account. 
Our sin has been transferred to Christ, and his righteousness has been transferred to us. One verse that helps us to understand this is 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. And again, I'm a visual person. And Sam, if you don't mind helping me. I felt like Sam was a little undressed. I should have had you. I should have known you would have wore a suit coat today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, and again, I'm not trying to, trying to demean any of our spiritual truths this morning, but to give you just a visual, because I think visuals just help. That's how I learn the best. Um, if, for the sake of this, <laughs> he, had, he had many weeks this morning. <clears throat> um, if I am Christ, and I am holy, and I am righteous, I am sinless, and I am perfect, okay? Sam represents all of mankind, the state that we're in. Sinners, all right? Not able to do anything on our, on our own, okay? So what imputation does is what Christ did on the cross for us was he took his perfect righteousness, okay, and traded it with Sam, all of mankind, okay? So now Sam can stand. This one's going to be even longer on you. Sam can stand before God righteous. And what Christ did was put on the sin of mankind. And this is what got nailed to the cross so that we could have eternity with God and not be separated from God. This is imputation, okay? The exchange of Christ's righteousness for our sinful nature, okay? Now let's get these things off. <laughs> so when we were declared not guilty, justified, is because God transfers the righteousness of Christ to the sinner and the debt of the sinner to Christ. There's an old hymn that I think that captures this uh, truth of imputation. If you've been in church for a while, you may be familiar with it. It is called His Robes for Mine, which is what we're trying to just kind of demonstrate there. The whole song is full of great truths, but I want to focus on, on one verse. His robes for mine, a wonderful exchange, clothed in my sin, Christ being clothed in my sin, Christ suffered neath God's rage, death on the cross, draped in his righteousness, the transfer of the or imputation of Christ's sinless perfection, to us, which makes us right before God, draped in his righteousness, I'm justified. In Christ I live, for in my place he died. Christ took upon us what we, took for us what we deserve. So, summarizing the teaching this morning, and we're still not done, don't get too excited. Condemnation is the judgment that we have been declared guilty before God, and we will serve a sentence apart from God in hell. We're declared guilty because of our sinful nature, there's nothing we can do in our own power to reverse this decision. So enter the good news, the gospel. Jesus stated in John 5:24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Because of Christ, we go from being condemned to being justified. Justification means the eternal charges have been dropped, not because of anything we have done, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf. With his death on the cross, he took our sin. In exchange, we have his righteousness. This is imputation. Because of what Christ has done for us, and this is, I love that God 
revealed this to me during this prep. It's beautiful, and I've missed it so much throughout my Christian life, that at the moment of justification, the moment of our salvation, God moves from being a holy and righteous judge to your heavenly Father. And you move from being on death row to being adopted as his child. That is a beautiful truth. So what do we do with a teaching like this this morning? So first off, I would plead with those who may be here and you're still under that condemned state. You know, you are not placed your trust in Christ. You know what the answer to your remedy is. It's Jesus Christ. It's by placing your faith in Christ. He has done for you what you can't do yourself. Um, Now I want to take a second and kind of look at, you know, how do we apply these truths to our daily encounters, okay, with, with those who we come in contact with? You know, what do, what do we do with this? So, um, you know, how about those who say, you know, I've done this so God won't save me. I have been in those, in those conversations where someone thinks that the sin that they've committed is greater than God's redeeming power, and it's not. Uh, or once I get this under control, then maybe I'll be good enough. The whole purpose of the gospel is to reveal that we aren't good enough on our own. A great verse to share with those people is Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I want to share a quote from you. I I love this quote, and I listen to it over and over uh, for myself. From Pastor Matt Chandler, he says this, God is not in love with the future version of you. It's not a cleaner version of you or a more put-together version of you, Christ knew what he was purchasing on the cross. So how about um, interacting with those who believe that works justify them? Those who justify them. Those who say, you know, I pray this many times a day. There are certain religions that believe you have to pray so many times a day facing a certain direction. That is a, a, a works theology or a thought process there. Or I knock on this many doors a week to tell people about, you know, the Jesus I believe in. Or I believe that if my good outweighs my bad. And that would be how I grew up. I grew up under the thought process that there are these heavenly scales, and as long as I kind of keep them balanced where I'm, I'm, I'm more gooder than I am more badder, then that's, that's how I... Uh, enter into, into heaven. And, um, you know, the Bible is very clear, and we've kind of talked about that, that we are not justified by works. And in fact, uh, in Luke, so we'll get to this probably in about a year, um, <laughs> the, uh, uh, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, and myself, I have read this for years and didn't really quite see that it fits so perfectly into what we are talking about today. And that, um, hmm, sorry, um, so I guess I was supposed to say this. So Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So this is how we would respond to them. Now moving on to oh, Galatians 2.16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because of the works of the law, no one will be justified. Works are not what save us. It's Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross. So now I think I will be to Luke. Yes. All right. So Luke 18, 9 through 14. He told this parable, this is Jesus speaking, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, 
one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast two times a week. I give of tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So with the Pharisee, we see that he's counting on his own righteousness, his works, right? We see I, 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 I in, in that passage. With the tax collector, we noticed a realization that his only hope is God, not himself. And the passage goes on to say that day he went home justified. He knew that his answer was not himself. There wasn't anything that he's going to do. And that stands today. The answer is not ourselves. It's Jesus Christ. So this is the gospel. This is the good news that we're to go unto all the nations and share. Be encouraged that when you are sharing these gospel truths that you are not trying to win people to yourself or a certain religion or a church. You're pointing them to Christ, their only possible remedy to their eternal state. Now, I, I want to kind of switch gears a second. Now, to those of you who are here, and maybe you've been saved for a while, you know, may your heart be refreshed and renewed by God's saving grace to you, okay? But to those who are saved, yet you're struggling, maybe some dark struggles, maybe it's something current or something from your past, I encourage you to lift your eyes up to God. Don't fall for the lies of Satan, the father of lies, and the one who tries to condemn you. Take heart of these verses. Romans 8, 33 through 35 and 37. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is, to, to, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The only one, and I listen, listen, because I know we are all we all struggle, and there's things in my life that Satan wants to just bring back and throw in my face. It's like I have to hold on to this truth very much. The only one who could take charge against you, meaning the only one who condemn you, could condemn you, would be God, but he accepted you through his son, and God sustained you through his son. That sin you're struggling with, it's paid for. We talked about that. It, it is paid for. You are a child of the king. Don't let Satan or yourself tell yourself any differently. Um, as I was preparing this lesson, I was reminded of one of my favorite stories involving C.S. Lewis. Some of you may know him from writing uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and the Screw Tape Letters, and countless other works, but I'm just speaking of the ones that most people would know. Uh, the story goes as follows. During a British conference on comparative religions, so they're looking at all the different religions, experts from around the world debated what, if any belief, was unique to the Christian faith. They began eliminating possibilities. Incarnation? Other religions had different versions of God's appearing in human form. Resurrection? Again, other religions had accounts of return from death. The debate went on for some time until C.S. Lewis wandered into the room. What's the rumpus about, he asked, and heard in reply that his colleagues were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among world religions. Lewis responded, oh, that's easy. It's grace. After some discussion, the conferees had to agree. 
The notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. The Buddhist eightfold path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant, and the Muslim code of law, each of these offers a way to earn approval. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the freedoms to still speak of your word, Lord. And I pray that your truth would resonate in our hearts and in our minds. And I pray for those who may be here who, if they do not know you as their Savior, God, would you work in their heart to understand, help them to understand that their only answer is through Christ and in Christ alone. And I pray this in your name. Amen.